Let me pray for us. Come now, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of these faithful gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This week, Reverend Andrew Lang, the senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Arlington Heights, Illinois, set off a firestorm. In his blog, he told of his last Sunday at his church in which he explained why he was resigning his position and more than that, leaving the Christian ministry altogether. In the blog, he spoke about what is being called the great pastor resignation that came in the wake of the COVID pandemic. The Barna Group, which is a group that does marketing for uh, Christian culture and uh, what is happening in churches around the United States, had done a national survey of pastors. And as of March 2022, 42% of pastors had considered resigning. The reasons for this are myriad, but the top five reasons given are as follows. The immense stress of the job, 56%. The feeling of loneliness and isolation, 43%. The current political divisions in our country, 38%. Unhappiness with the effect this role of being a pastor has had on family. And the feeling of not being optimistic about the future of their church, 29%. As you might imagine, there were many opinions that spoke out about that blog. Some were positive, some were negative, and it's still going on. It's all over Facebook if, you follow, if you're a church geek like me and follow anything that happens uh, related to the church. And I might add, clergy are not the only ones serving organizations where they suffer from internal conflict in their organization or uh, being oppressed by the organization that they're serving. This is happening all over the United States today. Now, you may be wondering what all this has to do with our lesson from the Gospel of Matthew that we hear, just heard read. Especially, you may be wondering, what does this have to do with the communion table, the table of God's love, shown to us in Jesus Christ? Well, you know, I'm going to tell you. I think uh, it is because the Gospel of Matthew speaks to us about the challenges of being part of a community called the church. And we all know that challenges exist, not just for pastors, but for everyone who comes seeking a place of belonging, of hope, of healing, and of love. And, and when we enter into a voluntary community, we are faced with such diversity. Even if we're not a culturally or ethnically diverse congregation, we come with all our ways of being in the world, all our ways of understanding life and understanding God and understanding what is happening in our world and how we are possibly to live good lives in these difficult days. Of course, it is important to set this reading in its context. And uh, if I learned anything 
from uh, <coughs> what's her name that did our book study? A.J. Levine, <laughs> professor of uh, Christian history and New Testament at Vanderbilt University. It is always set to make sure your congregation understands the context. So I want to make sure you understand this. First of all, Matthew is writing, and in this text it says the church. Well, the church was not in the Aramaic language at the time of Jesus. So clearly Matthew's putting his spin in which he wrote 70 years post the resurrection into this text. But still, we can assume that Jesus' thoughts and understandings are woven in and through this. Now, just before this passage, we've already heard about the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountaintop. And we've also heard about how Jesus has told the disciples that he's going to have to suffer and die. But just prior to this reading, Jesus has taught the parable of the lost sheep. You know the one. I've got this hundred sheep and one goes missing. And so the shepherd goes out to find that one. And so that parable tells us that it is God's desire that no one is lost, that all are a part of this uh, following of Jesus. And just prior to, and just after this reading, Jesus is going to teach about forgiveness. Not forgiving just seven times, but forgiving over and over and over again, 77 times. So rather than being a negative teaching, this is really put within the context of teaching about love in community. Loving enough to care about those with whom we disagree. Loving enough to speak truth to those we are seeking to live with in community. But there are also difficult words. You heard them. Uh, if there can be no reconciliation, to see that other person as an outsider, a Gentile, or tax collector. You know, the Gentiles and tax collectors of Jesus' day were the outsiders. But equally comes a caution. Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Which means that our human existence has impact. It has impact on us now and into eternity. And we should pay attention to that. How are we going to be? Are we going to bind people and demand things of them? Uh, as I said in the introduction to the reading, are we going to say that you have to follow this law exactly or you're out? Or are we going to lose people to be free? Well, perhaps here it is important for us to examine the counterproductive and even death-dealing ways we are often tempted to engage in conflict. Oh, we're in conflict. We're living in a culture of hate and judgment and vitriol and everything else. You know that. And we're a divided country right now. Just watch any, well, watch MSNBC. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> so first, um, it's important for us to remember that we're often tempted to engage in conflict. And 
And first of all, we're attempt, we, we are often tempted to avoid it. Nobody likes it. Everybody hates it. So we either stand and fight, or we flee, or we ignore it. And we're in the last two categories, fleeing and ignoring it. Second, we're tempted to gossip, to tell other people about the person or behavior that has offended us. Third, we're tempted to gang up on each other, to recruit like-minded people to our side and create echo chambers of grievance, all the people who agree with us. And fourth, we're tempted to air our grievances only to those people who are in our echo chamber and agree with us, not to the people with whom we have the grievance. And fifth, we are tempted to regard our opponents as if they are unwelcome or better off elsewhere, outside our community entirely. You know, at New Church, we like to say that all are welcome here. And we try to live that. But, you know, we'd be hard-pressed if, if we had to deal with people who were being conflictual with us in our thoughts about how we understand Scripture, how we understand Jesus, how we understand God's work in the world. And yet, that is what we're called to do. Now, wait a minute, you say. Doesn't Jesus agree with excluding an unrepentant offender from the community, saying, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector? What's loving about that? Well, on the one hand, yes. Unabashed offenders who insist on destructive and dysfunctional behavior should, in the end, be given a clear message. Stop. Stop this behavior. Or maybe you need to step away from this community. Now, that should be our last thing we say. Not the first, I mean, we should try all these other things first. After all, the church, and this I talk, I talk to my students at Bright Divinity School all the time about this. The church is not a business though we should have the best business practices that are available to us. The church is not a nonprofit, though we should have the very best nonprofit practices and use them as they are available to us. The church is an organism, a living, breathing organism brought to life through the breath of God and through the Holy Spirit that came down at Pentecost. And we still live in that milieu of the breath of God and the Holy Spirit that pours out upon us every single time we gather and even when we are separate from one another. So we have been imbued with a mission to be the living presence of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the peace of the Holy Spirit to all we meet at all times. We have a mission, and so that mission we have to think about when we're dealing with conflict. And, on the other hand, it's important to remember that we are offering the love of God in the world through justice, peace, love, hope, reconciliation, and so much more. Jesus qualifies this recommendation if we remember what happens in Jesus' ministry to Gentiles and tax collectors. You remember what happens to Gentiles and tax collectors in Jesus' ministry? 
Jesus sits down and eats with them. And you know, eating at dining at someone's table is a very intimate thing. It is all about coming to know people and getting to know them and appreciating them and, and engaging in who they are and what's important about their lives. So this is what this is what Jesus does. And in surprising ways, these outsiders are ultimately included in some way in Jesus' mission. Well, it seems to me that Jesus is inviting us into extravagantly loving actions that respect and honor those with whom we disagree. And that's hard right now, isn't it? In our culture, in our country, to engage in meaningful conversations and respectful conversations and honoring conversations with those whom we disagree. Remember, Jesus concludes saying, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Jesus, the risen living Savior, is among us right now, right here. And let me say something about this. This is exactly what the United Church of Christ gathers for. Because what we say in our congregational organization is that where two or three are gathered, Jesus Christ is in the midst of them. So you, we here at New Church, Casanova UCC Church in Dallas, Texas, are perfectly, perfectly prepared if we are awakened, as the scripture asks us to be in the reading from Romans, if we are awakened to the presence of God in our midst, we are the most capable to make decisions for the life of our church. Not the offices in Cleveland, Ohio, not the offices in Washington, D.C., but right here. Those offices should be supporting our mission here. Okay? Okay, I just got off the track there. <laughs> and each time we come to this table, we get to reenact that kind of love. We get to receive it, we get to ingest it, and then we get to pour it out into the world. Jesus' whole ministry then and now is one of reconciliation, liberation, justice, healing, and repair of the world. I love that, repair of the world. Considering this then, conflicts are nothing less than opportunities to participate in God's reconciling and reparative work. Would that we could remember that when we're in the middle of a fight, right? And if we take this seriously, we can view contact, conflict as occasions to pattern our life together according to a deeper physics, the physics of love with which God made and remakes the world. This is love, agape, servant, sacrificial love, and that kind of love is transformative. Years ago, when I first became a UCC pastor, I went to a clergy retreat, and there was a woman there who was a UCC clergy, uh, and she was serving as a campus minister for the students at Angelo State University out in San Angelo. And she was serving what she called a cathedral on the western plains of Texas, which was a tiny little church, and it, um, <laughs> it had all very elderly people, no kids, no youth, no fam families with kids, except when they came to see their grandparents or great-grandparents. And what Sonia said to me was, one day, when we were at this retreat, she said, you know, I only have one sermon. I said, what? 
She said, well, you know, I use the Bible and I, I catch this sermon in, in the stories of Scripture. But I only have one sermon for these 70 and 80-year-olds. God loves you. That's all I got. That's what she said. God loves you. God loves you. The Apostle Paul understood this saying, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So hear the good news this morning. You are invited to this table, set by Jesus Christ with his life and his love. So, come to the table. God loves you.